Welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Over the next hour, we are going to celebrate women across all venues of education and hear stories from trailblazing educators of challenge and success, highlighting that leadership is not always about a title. Now here's your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. It is such a pleasure to be here with you today, so thank you so much for tuning in. For those listening that do not know me or those that are new to the show, I always share a few details about the backstory of the Empowering Women in Educational Leadership show with you. As a lifetime educator myself, and with a mother who was a very strong teacher in a Texas high school for over 40 years, I felt it was a natural transition to highlight strong women in educational leadership. So many times, women assume they have to have a title to be a leader, which is not true at all. So many women inspire, guide, support, and empower each other. Those women are the transformational leaders that focus on elevating one another through mentorship, whether intentional or not. I wanted to highlight the great things and people supporting women in educational leadership. I've been in education for over 30 years at the K-12 and higher education level, as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. I'm now the owner of Do Good Leadership, where I'm the professional speaker, leadership and success coach and mentor, author, consultant, and radio host. My focus has shifted from working within an institution to a new focus outward where I can serve, elevate, and inspire women to be amazing leaders in education at all levels. This show is an opportunity to bridge the connection between where a woman is in education and where she wants to be after developing leadership skills and confidence to become that empowering transformational leader. The key is to find a strong mentor to guide you along the way. My mother was my mentor until she died in a car accident when I was 27. I've made it my life's purpose to help serve, support, and empower women in educational leadership through mentorship. Therefore, I help women in education develop positive leadership skills to confidently step into a leadership role, current or future. Today is the second episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership, and I'm honored to have this opportunity to highlight the amazing things women are doing in education. Each show will have a guest from a different background across the country with unique perspectives to share related to empowering women in educational leadership. Our amazing guest today is Dr. Lauren Kerr Hurley. She is an award-winning educator and author who has dedicated her career to transforming lives through education. She was homeschooled all the way through high school, which allowed her to develop a deep appreciation of self-directed learning and a passion for helping others to take control of their education. Lauren has worked in college readiness in American high schools, taught in international and British schools in England, and currently serves as a professor in the American Community College. Her innovative teaching includes tuning in classroom, turning a classroom into an escape room. That sounds fun. Multidisciplinary projects showcasing personal food histories and environmental justice and experimental learning spaces. She helps students and parents develop a holistic approach to college success, which includes a focus on essential skills, executive function, and emotional awareness. Please welcome Dr. Lauren Kerr Hurley. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. 
So, you know, we met recently at a conference a couple months ago and, you know, just connected over the love of leadership and helping others. So tell me a little bit about your background. You know, we shared this bio, but is there anything else that you would like to share um, before we get started and talk about a few of the topics? Sure. Well, I'm a history professor in a community college at Houston Community College, and I started my higher ed journey in community college. I was homeschooled and only one of two homeschooling families in my tiny town in Wyoming in the 80s. <laughs> so that was a, you know, a different kind of experience. And I really enjoyed it. It, it did help me, you know, kind of focus on self-directed learning and I was interested in history from a really early age. And so it allowed me to kind of focus in on that. So when I was 15, I graduated from high school, went straight to community college and had a really great experience with it. So then I went on, you know, to get my further degrees, but it's kind of a where it started and where it's going situation. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It, it always seems like we tend to return to what we love most and where we had the best experiences ourselves. So totally. I love that you've returned uh, to Houston, which happens to me, my hometown. But, you know, today we were going to talk about empowering women, executive functioning for leaders, and also innovative teaching and kind of the mentorship program that has been developed. So as we talk about empowering women, so can you share your personal journey and, and how you've come to be a leader in your field? You have a whole program out there for folks that, that's available to them. So can you share a little bit about that? So I think, you know, as even a young person, I, I was always told I had leadership skills. Um, sometimes that was with my <laughs> my parents saying that about my younger sibling and maybe not always in the best way. <laughs> um, but I always liked kind of organizing things. I liked, you know, anything from a birthday party to a trip to whatever. Um, I like to be kind of in charge of things. And I was usually pretty good, even at a young age, at organizing people and getting people excited about things. And for a long time, I thought that meant that I would be a good teacher. And I'm, I think I'm a great teacher, but I didn't necessarily think of it in a leadership capacity. Because being in the education field for so long, you're kind of a leader in your own little classroom, but you don't necessarily think of it extending much beyond that. And for myself, I didn't have aspirations of becoming a principal or a dean or, you know, whatever. I really like the classroom. And that's where I knew that's where I thought that I would be. And so I didn't conceptualize myself as a leader in my professional world, which is kind of silly looking back on it, but maybe not because we're, we're trained to sort of view hierarchy. You know, mm -hmm. you get, you, you go in the classroom and then you move out of it to move up which is, I think, a flaw in the system, but it's also a flaw in the way that we see ourselves. So as, you know, I've, I've been teaching for longer and I've been able to develop kind of my own program, I now conceptualize myself a lot more as a leader in the educational space. In my sort of volunteer world, I tend to, to be in leadership positions. I'm on the, the board at the PTO at my kid's school. And I'm, you know, the 
a chair of family ministries at my local church. So those kind of things I fell into a lot more easily, but they were a volunteer and they were outside of my professional world, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So, so it's, it's been really in the last couple of years that I've seen myself as a leader, even if I don't have a title outside of professor. Well, and, and you've hit on so many different points in what you were sharing is that, you know, you felt that you were really good at organizing things, being in charge, guiding people, and you felt that that led you to a teacher. And and just as you mentioned, so many teachers out there don't think of themselves as leaders. Mm-hmm. And again, it is that hierarchy that we think about is that if you're a teacher, you know, that's kind of the foundational <clears throat> level where you are. And then in order to move up in leadership, you have to have those titles. And, and as we mentioned in the introduction, and you just mentioned here, leadership is not about title. It's about you. It's about how you work with others and those relationships that you build. And so I agree with you that it's a flawed system that a lot of times we feel that we're not good enough to be considered a leader, but yet outside of the classroom, you were a leader in your volunteer positions. And yes, you Mm -hmm. are now a leader in the classroom and all these other things that you're doing. So did you have a mentor along the way at all that would help you guide, guide yourself through these, this process? I've had various mentors. You know, I was, I was lucky to have really great advisors in grad school. And, you know, that always sort of, I I kind of hearkened back to those lessons um, (laughs) a lot. I was just telling someone the other day about something my advisor for my PhD said about when I was struggling to write my dissertation. He said, well, you only have to do 15 minutes a day. And I said, well, it's 300 pages. I'm never going to get it done. And he said, well, but if you do 15 minutes a day, that'll turn into an hour, which will turn into two, which, but it's the getting started. Um, So I think about people like my advisors in grad school. I have a mentor right now who has helped me kind of uh, develop my business and shown me some ideas about, uh, you know, just change my mindset about leadership in general. And that's been really helpful. And then I have mentors outside of my sort of professional world within my family um, my mom, as I said, was my homeschool teacher forever <laughs> and a big cheerleader. And then um, my aunt, her sister, was a teacher and superintendent. And so we enjoy chatting about education and I really enjoy her insight and ideas. Well, and it's so funny because a lot of times you go back to those mentors, our family. You know, I share that it was my mom. It's your mom for you and your aunt. Um, I have a very supportive husband and dad that that I, I work with all the time now. But, you know, one of the key things that you mentioned, a few key things is the advisors. You know, we have advisors in school and sometimes they don't realize the impact that they make on the students, whether it's helping them schedule a class or whether it's guiding them through a program. Advisors in education have a huge piece of the network with these students. And and I don't know that students realize how important they are. And sometimes I don't realize advisors realize how important they are, but they all are leaders in my eyes. Mm-hmm. And then you also mentioned small steps, you know, 15 minutes a day that will turn into <laughs> something greater. And that is how, you know, leaders assume that if you're in a classroom to get to be an assistant or principal, it is such a huge jump. 
But as you mentioned, small steps, 15 minutes a day, focusing on leadership skills or focusing on confidence or focusing on doing something in your classroom that really makes a difference. That is how you get started. And so that was great. Yeah. And one of the things I've thought about with, um, you know, mentorship, because educators really need people who have sort of gone before and we spend so much of our time mentoring youth, mentoring students. And because I'm at a community college, I've got students anywhere from 15 to 60, sometimes more, sometimes less, you know, so it's a wide range and they're coming to me for life advice. Uh, you know, and oftentimes I have to say, I'm not qualified to do this. Here's the counselor's (laughs) number, but they're coming to me for career advice. They're coming to me for everything. And if you don't have someone that you can go to and get advice from, then your bucket gets empty pretty quick. That is so true. And so you also mentioned in that same conversation about mindset, so you have to have a specific mindset. So what is what was some of the, the mindset advice that you were given by a mentor or some of the mindset advice you would share with others who are working with students concerned about their bucket getting empty and not getting refilled? Well, my mantra for a long time, because I'm a perfectionist and because I like do way too much, I have to say to myself, I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. <laughs> and like on repeat. Because it's really difficult, particularly now when the student can send you an email at 2 a.m. to just be on all the time. And mm-hmm. so I've set boundaries with how I do work. And that used to be just a time boundary, but now it's a mindset boundary. Because mm-hmm. I used to say, you know, if a student emails me after five, I'm not getting back to them till the next day. But that, that doesn't, didn't mean I wasn't thinking about it, right? Right. So now I actually, I did this last week. I sat down and I scheduled an hour a day for creativity time. Mm-hmm. Because if we're not, you know, honing our own creativity, developing that, then again, we have nothing to give. But if it wasn't scheduled in my day, it might not happen. Um, partially because you get to the end of the day and you're tired and if you haven't thought about it, then like, well, I'm not going to get all my art supplies now. I'm too tired. Um, right. So I sort of, you know, set my stuff out in the morning. And so that um, in the evening, there's an hour. So instead of procrastinating scrolling through social, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm doing. So yeah. that mindset is really about, um, and the other thing about leadership is just to say, like, I deserve to be a leader in mm-hmm. not just my classroom, but in whatever way I choose. And for a long time, I thought that meant I had to be department chair, I had to be dean, I had to go like climb a very prescripted ladder. And I've changed my mind about that because it's not the lifestyle that I want. And it's not where my skills are is the other thing. Like I could be good at those things if I applied myself, but I, but naturally I'm not. Um, like I said, I'm really good at organizing people. I could probably run a killer meeting <laughs> and you know <laughs> make sure everybody's schedules are correct. But I don't, but that's not the best use of my particular skills. There are people who are so good at that and love it, but it's not me. So that's another mindset change to say, like, if I want to be a leader, I could create my own company, my own program. I can still do my community college job, which I love and feel is my calling, 
but it, it doesn't have to end where I thought it would, you know, that um, I would just be teaching. And I don't mean to say just, but, you know, right. Of course. There are other things I would like to do, but they just, they aren't the prescripted leadership ladder. Well, and again, you've unpacked so many things and, and we're about to get a break here in a couple minutes, but with talking about your mantra and your mindset and things that you say to yourself, you know, a lot of people don't realize how important it is to be kind and positive to yourself and give yourself that permission to not check emails up until midnight and respond right away, or to give yourself permission to focus on your strengths and go in one direction or another. So I think that that is so impactful, what you shared. And then of course, the skills, you know, so many times we focus on improving our weaknesses rather than supporting our strengths. And so you just nailed that saying, that's not my strength. So I really want to focus on my strength in this direction. And I'm okay with that. That's exactly what I want to do. And so it's, it's giving yourself that permission to go a route that is not what everybody else expects or wants your direction to be. And so I think that is huge. That is huge. And so as we go into, whoops, as we go into break here in a couple minutes, I just about knocked my computer off, but as we go into break, we will finish talking about empowering women and then shifting to your program that you talked about, which is the altering course. And there are so many amazing things in there with altering course. And of course, when we come back, we're going to talk about executive functioning. So stay with us. We'll be right back in about two minutes. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When there is a war on talent, you have to go to combat. What is career combat? It's a show that airs at 7 a.m. Pacific time on Fridays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel that acts as your destination for real career talk and real career advice. Hear from the best and brightest in the biz as your host, Kelly Combat, gives you the answers you need. Career Combat, Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. We are so excited to have Dr. Lauren Kerr Hurley with us from Houston Community College, who is also an amazing educator leader who has her own program. So we were talking about empowering women and the importance of mindset. So share with us as we shift from the mindset into your program of executive functioning for leaders. Tell us a little bit about that and how they're related. Sure. So I'm the founder and CEO of Altering Course. And what we do is help people, I call it, you know, life skills, basically, but um, we just help people have better productivity, better mindset, etc. And so the program I'm really excited about within that is about executive function skills. Executive function skills are basically the set of mental processes that help us get things done. And you might know, for example, that you struggle with time management, but you might not know that that's a brain process that can be worked on, but it has to be connected to what's happening in your brain. I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a psychologist. I am a professor that has observed for a long time what gets people to be more productive and eventually, you know, more happy um, because a big part of executive function is emotional awareness. So you've probably observed this if you're in education, how you can have a student who seems like they have it all together and they've turned stuff in on time and they're really engaged in your class. And then all of a sudden with seemingly no warning, they break down, they leave the room crying for the next week, nothing is turned in. That's a lack of emotional awareness and it's being overwhelmed to the fact that it's impossible to get anything done. So leaders are the same way. We have so much on our plates and the demands that we are being given do not match our executive function skills. And there is never a time when you can like get a hundred percent score on your executive function skills, but there is a way that you can work to improve them. And Within executive function skills, there's there's various categories, but working memory is about remembering facts and figures, understanding and you know information ecosystems like language, following through on tasks, managing time. Your mental flexibility is your organizing, your planning, adapting to new information, and self control is or I like self regulation better is about emotional awareness, controlling impulses, paying attention, things like that. So I'll give you an example. Um, time management is a big thing, right? Uh, I <laughs> I have a kind of a game with myself to see how many students in the first week of the semester are going to tell me I'm bad at time management. <laughs> and <laughs> I had a pretty large count this year. So, and I always tell them, don't say I'm bad at time management, say it's a challenge and let's figure out some strategies to work on it. So for myself, I mentioned I'm kind of a perfectionist. So when I was in college, and this is the way I approached projects for a long time, particularly when it was within you know leadership, 
is that I would want things to be perfect. So I would put them off and I would procrastinate to the last minute. I have this very vivid memory of being in college. And this was when I, you know, I didn't have a computer in my apartment. And so I went to the computer lab and the computer lab closed at 1am or something. And they kicked me out and I wasn't done with my paper that was due the next day. And I couldn't print it and all this stuff. And I thought, okay, something has to change. <laughs> um, because it's not that I hadn't been working on it. It's just that I hadn't declared it done. Um, so I had procrastinated the crux of it till the very end so that I would have an excuse that it wasn't perfect. So having the emotional awareness of why I procrastinated totally shifted my time management. Because then I could say, what I really need to work on is my relationship with perfectionism. And then I can work on the skill of managing my time, breaking down the task, prioritizing. So that's why emotional awareness is so important. So when we talk to leaders, um, a lot of what you hear in leadership circles is about like how to maximize everything and, you know, get more done and get more clients and get more and more and more when not a lot is being focused on how are we actually doing? <laughs> you know, how are those executive function skills stacking up? And you could be killing it in a lot of areas. And if there's a severe deficit in one area, for example, if paying attention is a deficit, then there's probably some kind of self-regulation issue. And it could be um, it could be due to some you know neurodiversity. My spouse and my kid have ADHD. Um, so we know that these things are going to be harder for them. If like myself, you have anxiety, then that's also going to affect your paying attention because my brain is always thinking about the next thing that's happening. <laughs> so I miss things that are going on in the present. So really investigating the emotional roots of all of this helps you A, calm down about all the things you need to do and B, be realistic and C, actually get them done. So you have just covered a, a whole wide array <laughs> of, of different things. And so with an altering course, it sounds like when you're talking about life skills and so many people do get stuck, if you will, and they don't know which direction to go. They think, oh, well, for time management, let me just look at my calendar and organize it better. But there's so much more there. And so we talked about mindset for one before we came. And you talk about mindset here when you're talking to your students. You even said at the first week you asked how many struggle with time management. And it was a lot of your students. Well, if you ask any adult how many struggle with time management, you're right. probably going to get the same amount or more, but reframing it instead of I'm not good or I'm bad at time management to it. It's a challenge gives you that opportunity to work on it, to hopefully solve it, or at least enhance what you're doing to make it better. And right. so you've been sharing so many different methods and digging deeper which really shows us that we can't always fix things ourselves. You know, we, cannot, we, yes. <laughs> we have got to work with others. And so I think that's why a mentor or reaching out to somebody and getting feedback 
and, and really being open-minded to it. That and is if, huge. Totally. And if, you know, one of the good things to do when it comes to these executive function skills is to track what you're doing well. And mm-hmm. you can ask a, a partner or a mentor to do that as well. But to say, for example, you know, when I work with parents, they'll tell me my kid has no time management skills, just like my students will say the same thing about themselves, or my colleagues will say the same thing about themselves. And I said, well, it's not fair to say you have none. (laughs) You know, what happens if you really want to watch a TV show that you're behind on, and you don't want to get any spoilers? Will you make time for that? Probably, because it's important to you. And because it's fun. So like, where are you managing your time? And if that TV show is a diversion in a good way, in other words, it's something you look forward to and will help you kind of refocus, that's great. If it's a diversion that's taking you away from facing things you don't want to face, then maybe it's not the best thing. But all that to say, like, um, you know, if for your emotional awareness, can you pinpoint a time that you said specifically, this is how I feel because leaders, women leaders in particular are always saying, I'm so overwhelmed, but that's not a feeling. (laughs) That's just, that's an umbrella. Right. And so even as an adult, I use the feelings wheel, (laughs) um, which you could Google, but um, the feelings wheel will help you kind of identify some really specific feelings. And so maybe you write down like the other day when I said I was overwhelmed, I was able to pinpoint that actually I was scared. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was scared because of XYZ. So write that down, like give yourself credit. And then I would say do that for a week. And then for a second week, maybe write down things that need to be improved. And then just choose one because us women leaders love to fix all the things. <laughs> But right. focusing on one, <clears throat> any kind of emotional awareness is, you know, should come first, I think. Um, but then well, giving yourself grace and being kind to yourself is really important. Well, and, and again, you mentioned a few things with understanding your emotions is that using one word and that's just describing the situation, but that's not describing you personally. Right. And so I think that's a great suggestion is having, you know, the wheel, the feelings wheel (laughs) so that you can identify different things. And some people may not understand what those different feelings actually are. They might need to look up the definitions of those and go, oh, that's what I'm feeling. And that's the benefit of being in a group program like mine or working one-on-one with a coach um, or seeing a therapist, um, but you know, I'm not a therapist. So if, if you're working with dealing through trauma, for example, then a licensed professional counselor is the better route. If you want to work on skills and just have someone to kind of talk through these things with, then someone like me is a good option. So with the executive functioning program you have, is it weeks, months, years? Is it group work or individual <laughs> It's a variety of, I have a variety of avenues. I have group cohorts for students and I also work one-on-one right now with anyone. Um, So I would like to develop a cohort for adults in the future, Mm -hmm. but I'll work one-on-one with anyone. And I really enjoy that work because 
sometimes if you, you know, if you're talking to friends or you're talking to people kind of in your same boat, you're not maybe going to open up in the same way or get the same insight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have a time management course forever and that's a kind of a do at your own pace thing. And I developed that really with people like myself in mind (laughs) who, who know that they want to manage their time better, but they don't know why they can't. Mm -hmm. And so this is because I could throw all kinds of tips at you right now. You know, I could say set a timer for 25 minutes and then take a five minute break. I could do that all day, but it's not really going to help you because you haven't discovered what the emotional root of your time management is, what your time management style is, and what will actually work for you. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is to consider is that we, we love situations that can be solved with a one size fits all approach. And that's not realistic. And it's also not realistic for our lives, right? We, so the reason this time management course is effective is because it helps you adapt. And adaptation is mental flexibility, which is an executive function skill. Um, So there are times, and educators really struggle with this. I was talking about how I've been so tired the last couple of weeks at the beginning of the semester, because Mm -hmm. you have a hard start and a hard stop. It's like, summer break, and then you start up again, and you're just exhausted, right? So Mm -hmm. the time management skills that I used in the summer are not going to work in the first two weeks of school, which are not going to work for the rest of the semester. But it's having that adaptation and flexibility to say, this is what I need today. And I know that's what I need today, because I've considered it. Um, And I've found a system that's flexible, and that works for my brain. And that I know, I can use to be more productive, but also to be kinder to myself. Well, and so many of the experiences that you've just described are not only students, but also adults, teachers, leaders, deans, presidents, I mean, what have you. And I think that if anyone is listening and they go, oh my gosh, she just described me (laughs) (laughs) because you have so much going on. Your calendar is so full. And I know that some leaders they tend to be late for everything because they're finishing one meeting and going to the next. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's like, well, excuse me, I was the, you know, this high level leadership title person. And so they feel that that's okay to be late for everything or not to have adequate time management, but it really is at the core rather than finding a band aid and giving an excuse or finding what everybody else is doing. You're suggesting, and I love is to get to that root problem. Where is it? at its foundation. Right. And in my, through my work with altering course, I talk about this a lot that, um, you know, the emotional awareness, but also what do you need to give up? And is that a physical thing? Like I just need to say no to this commitment for a while, pause it, or is it an emotion? Do I need to give up perfectionism? (laughs) Or do I need to sacrifice something else so that I can get to my goals? I talk with this a lot about um, <laughs> with women who are doing everything, you know, like, do you need to do to be on four different volunteer boards? Is that going to help you reach your goals? Um, and if not, maybe it's okay to say no. Um, but so there's a variety of giving up here. You know, there's sometimes you're giving up something to get something. Sometimes you're putting boundaries. and sometimes it's just necessary. <laughs> sometimes well, your body will tell you, sometimes your brain will tell you this that's is right. what we have to do. 
Well, and a lot of times you get so caught up in what you've always done. Well, I've always been on that board or I've always been Mm -hmm. a part of this. But as your life changes, as your responsibilities change, it might be that those have to shift as well. And you talked about elimination. What can you eliminate or what can you delegate or what can you simply just, you know, shift to somebody else altogether? And then what's left is what you need to do. Right. So there's so many different different ways to look at this. And with executive function, you know, I, I keep talking about it being a brain process, which is not something you can really pinpoint, right? Which is part of the reason it's frustrating to people. It's like, well, if, if you just gave me the list of executive functions and then the exact roadmap on how to get 100%, then I would do it. But it doesn't work that way. And so part of it is giving yourself grace to say, I'm, you know what? I am never going to be amazing at following through on tasks. Like it is always going to be a struggle for me and that's okay. And, you know, when I, when I work with parents in particular, I'll say, um, they might say to me, well, how can I get them to write down their assignments in class every single day? And I'll say, you can't like, it's not possible. (laughs) So, but can you get four out of five days and then give them a small reward? I'm big on like personal rewards for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, don't do chocolate because that's not good for you, but (laughs) some kind of like, am I going to take a walk uh, when I finish this? Am I going to, if you're into cooking, are you going to cook a meal that you enjoy something? You need some kind of carrot. That's not just for kids. We kind of put those things out, like, you know, got an allowance when we were kids or whatever, but for adults, we have to find these things. And I say make a list, you know, of things that you look forward to. Because that is, we need that dopamine. The brain needs the dopamine in order to keep going. You know, wow. for me, I, my favorite thing is to add something to a to-do list that wasn't there and then cross it off. I it. do that all the time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I do that feeling. all the time. But, you know, <laughs> we've been talking about executive functioning and we can talk about this all day. This is just an easy conversation to have and I love it. So perhaps we can continue off camera whenever we're through. But right now we've got to go to a break. So we'll be back in two minutes and we'll talk about innovative teaching. We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. 
But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. We are here with Dr. Lauren Kerr-Hurley, who is an award-winning educator and author who has dedicated her career to transforming lives through education. We've been talking about empowering women and executive functioning for leaders and others. And now we're going to shift to innovative teaching. So Lauren, please share what your I guess definition is of innovative teaching. What does that mean? Because that's such a wide definition that others can interpret in various ways. Sure. Well, innovation, I think, simply means trying new things, trying things that are out of the box, and being very willing to fail. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the key, I mean, willing to fail. <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's part of the process, you know, and I'm very fortunate to be at Houston Community College, and I, I work in the Innovation Center. And that's where I teach and we have a makerspace and I was part of an innovation fellowship, which was instructors and staff from the college. There's a cohort of about 15 of us. We got together and just learned about innovation and came up with projects and executed those projects most importantly, because I've got ideas for days, but it's it's always helpful when someone says, here's some support and some funds um, for your idea. So when this is another reason why I want to stay in the classroom forever because I (laughs) have so many ideas I want to execute. So when it comes to innovative teaching for myself, I always say that my classes are in beta. (laughs) It's like I'm always beta testing. Yes. And so every semester, something's a little bit different. One thing I learned early on is that you can't cut like completely change everything all the time. Um, right. So I, I choose maybe a new project or a couple things to tweak every semester. So one of my big projects right now is a food history project. And this was the idea. It was not my idea. The idea of a chemistry professor and a couple others at my college. And they said, wouldn't it be great to do a collaborative multidisciplinary project about food. And so we, we look at the chemistry of food, we look at the biology of food, we have English students who look at food and literature and write about it. And we have, um, in my history class, we do sort of um, food histories, personal stories about food. We work with the, the makerspace text, we work with the pastry center. And at a college like ours, that's so huge with thousands and thousands of students and over 20, I think we've got 23 campuses. Bringing everyone together is really difficult. We have a lot of commuter students. We have a lot of online students. So we had to get really creative about how we did that. 
but it's been really cool. Um, you know, one thing about leadership, this is a good example of if you wait for someone to give you a green light, it doesn't always happen. <laughs> um, so we, we worked for a couple of years on this project, just kind of below the radar. And we just said, you know, my, this history class is going to do their food essay or food history. And you guys are going to do your thing. And then we'll pick a couple students that will come together. They can meet online if they want and put a collaborative video together. We're going to work with the pastry students and they'll be in the culinary arts center making tasty things. And then at the end of the semester, we had an event. So it, it took us as leaders, none of us are department chairs or anything like that. Um, we're faculty and we decided to do this. And so we, we took it upon ourselves that leadership and after it was successful, then people were like, oh, well, here's some more money and let's print off certificates and let's bring in, um, you know, the HCC TV and whatever. So it's kind of cool because we realized that we had great ideas. We weren't breaking any rules, right? Um, so why not just go out and try it? And that's why when you're a leader, you need people in your corner on your team that are like-minded and are willing to fail. And because if, if not, if we were, if we had all said, we're only doing this, if it's successful, we would have never done it. <laughs> or if we'd well, have waited for someone to tell us to go for it, we, it would never would have happened. Well, and, and you bring about, again, several different things that I'm hearing is that you had individuals from across the disciplines that kind of came together and said, yeah, let's, let's come up with this project you know, I've been in a lot of different places, again, K-12, higher ed, different colleges, universities, and sometimes the departments are so siloed yes. that they don't really come together, you know, so that's one thing that I wanted to ask you about. And then the other piece is so many times instructors, faculty, teachers, whatever the, the term is on your campus you know, you always have those old school. I even have one that used to call himself the dinosaur. So I mean, he admitted to it. He's like, I don't want to change. I don't want to change. I've been doing this forever. Or they're using the same lecture and lesson plans from 10 years ago, even five years ago. Mm -hmm. So what is, what is your take or what is your perspective on how do we get those individuals who are stuck in, this is how we do it. This is how my students learn. That's how I learned. So it must be how our new students learn. Mm -hmm. To becoming this collaborative, interactive, you know, you have to talk about grades and what the expectations are and maybe even rubrics. So, you know, what did that all look like? Well, at our campus, this innovation fellowship is it's an application only kind of thing. And you have to want to make the changes to be in it, right? Gotcha. But in, there have been several historians who have been through the program and it's had a ripple effect, I think. There's also been, um, we've been involved in some initiatives for the history survey courses that, you know, in Texas, everyone has to take mm -hmm. two semesters of American history for any college degree. So we've been involved in some initiatives to kind of redesign those courses and for, you know, nationwide for those programs, we encourage people to implement a couple new things and then to demonstrate it like how it worked for them so it wasn't we were saying you have to stop lecturing you have to stop giving blue book tests <laughs> we were saying we'd like you to try a couple of these things and mm -hmm. see how they go and generally the feedback was really good 
because I think if you go in and you tell someone you have to change everything about who you are and what you've done, that's <laughs> it's overwhelming for one, but it's also like, no one wants to do that. Right. Um, no, that's early so, retirement right there. <laughs> right? <laughs> There's people like me who have a personality that's like, well, if it doesn't work, then that's fine. Um, and I'm just going to try new things all the time because that's what I love to do. But that's partially personality. Right. Um, and it's also partially that, it's not an us versus them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're the kind of leader like me, who is like, well, let's do all the new things. And like, I literally did turn a classroom into an escape room. And some people think that's bonkers. I think it's great, <laughs> but they would right. never think of that. Right. But also I had a student last semester who said, um, because I don't give tests. I, I rarely lecture. Like there's a lot of discussion in active learning. And we, I mean, the, the next class period, we're going to the makerspace and they're going to learn how to laser cut. And then we're going to talk about historical artifacts and, uh, you know, it, it all ties together, right? Um, so she said, you know, you teach in a really different way, but I really also, and I, she said, I love it. But I also loved my history professor last semester and all he did was lecture and give tests. Mm-hmm. So it's not an us versus them kind of thing. It's a... Right meeting students needs meeting instructors needs and then encouraging each other to change a little bit um because i also had to admit that sometimes i have to lecture and sometimes Mm -hmm. (laughs) they have to sit and listen to me and maybe i don't like it maybe they don't like it but sometimes it's what is necessary well and you talked about giving yourself permission for something to fail and so many times teachers want it to be perfect. They they don't want to do something wrong because they feel like that they won't be that leader on that pedestal or that teacher on that pedestal that they feel their students have put them on. But right. I almost feel that if you're willing to experiment and you're willing to fail, that humanizes you and the students are able to connect with you a little bit better. What are your thoughts? It's, it's really good leadership because mm-hmm. with what you're showing students is that if it doesn't work the first time, that's okay. Maybe they need, maybe you need to tweak your plan, but you persevere and you decide, okay, I'm never doing this again. I'm I'm glad I tried it, but (laughs) this wasn't for me. It didn't work. Um, So it's really good leadership. And I tell my students, this is a new project this semester. If you notice anything in the instructions that don't make sense, or if you notice a typo, or if you really hate this book that I assigned, then let me know. Um, Mm -hmm. because I want them to be part of the process and a good leader will involve their team, whether it's their students or their colleagues or family or whoever in the decision-making process, because not only is it good modeling, but it's also takes the, (laughs) takes everything off your shoulders, right? You don't have to do it all. That's true. But it's also teaching them some of those skills that you were talking about earlier is how to give corrective feedback or how to, mm-hmm. you know, discuss things in, in an adult manner, you know, rather than, right. you know, so, so you're bringing some of those skills into your classroom and seeing them as a partner in the learning experience. And I think that when students take ownership or they take responsibility of what's going on, then they're more likely to continue and embrace it and really want to be there. I think so. Yeah. And, you know, we have this, these experimental learning spaces in my building and one of them is kind of like a, we call it the cafe, although there's no coffee. I wish there was, but you can move the furniture around and there's some kind of fidgety seats and there's marker boards everywhere. And I think it's a great space, 
but um, they put me in there last semester to kind of test out how it works. And I, I thought it was fun, but I also was really upfront about like, okay, there's some limitations in this room. And I gave yeah. feedback to both the students and to the leadership. And we were able to kind of work with those and, and conceptualize a different use for the space. We now use it more like a project room instead of a, a full-time classroom. But the students, I gave them regular surveys about it. Uh, you know, I asked for their feedback. Sometimes I would I would stand in, on one side of the room and I'd say, okay, you guys have to rearrange this room. And they said, well, yeah. it's fine that it was. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter. We're trying something new. That's you right. Know? So, and some of them really hated it. Yep. <laughs> some of them really loved it. <laughs> yeah. So that's also like, you cannot please everyone. I love to please people, but when you're trying something new, not everyone is going to be on board. Well, I hate to say that we are just about out of time. So if you will, very briefly, what is a word of wisdom or encouragement that you'd like to share with folks that might be listening today? I think I want to encourage women leaders that you are enough, you have enough, and you do enough. (laughs) And once you recognize the kind of emotional roots of any deficits you feel like you have, you can give yourself more grace and you can probably make more progress with the skills that you're trying to work on. Love that. You are enough, you have enough, you do enough. So where can people find you or your courses? My website, alteringcourse.com has all of my courses and my socials. I've got some great freebies. I recommend the infographic and maybe taking the quiz, but but everything is on alteringcourse.com. Perfect. And those that want to jump to voiceamerica.com, my radio show uh, with Dr. Stephanie Dugan, Empowering Women in Educational Leadership, you'll find her information linked there as well. So to find me, you can find me at www.drstephaniedugan.com or on Facebook at Stephanie Rector Dugan or at Dugan Leadership. So again, visit Voice America and visit my page. With a life of experience in education, I'd love to be the speaker at your next event or work directly with you through my Empowering Women in Educational Leadership Mentorship Program. And we are out of time for this week, but in the coming weeks, please look for Brenda Jones, the Learning Community Coordinator from University of West Florida, Dr. Angela Robbins, founder and owner of eLearning Doc, and Dr. Leanne Nutt, president of Lone Star College Tomball. Be sure to tune in next week on Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time on the Voice America Network Empowerment Channel. I'd love to leave you with my ultimately favorite quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. A good leader inspires people to have confidence in the leader. A great leader inspires people to have confidence in themselves. Thank you so much for joining us today and be sure to tune in next week to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. We hope you'll join us next week for another inspiring episode 